0: Transmission by me, Tom Tadeo. Make me an island. The idea of a tune called Ignite Getting the Fire Started here on the May Bank holiday Make Me an Island special. And you're very welcome to the show. That was Elaine Howley. And you might know Elaine from her work with The Altered Hours or Howlbox with Irene Buckley, or indeed Crevice. And I've seen her play with all three configurations and do some amazing solo shows on her own. The most recent of which was um, at the last. Jazz Festival in Cork at the Kino with Fixity, an absolutely amazing geek. So that tune, Ignite, you'll find on Bandcamp on an LP called The 343, which is a compilation of some amazing new Irish music, some of which uh, from Natalia Bayliss and Rising Damp will be featuring on future editions of Make Me In Ireland. Before I go on today, um, as you can probably guess from the opening tune, it's a slightly different line of investigation we're going to be taking today. And it's going to be the second in our Make Me an Islander series. And I will tell you all about our very special guest in just a moment. But before that, I have a little bit of housekeeping to do. And anybody who knows me will know just how much I love housekeeping. Uh, So on that point, uh, firstly, there has, I'm sure you're painfully aware, Uh, The lockdown has been extended to May 18th and therefore this show will continue. And um, if you would like to support uh, the show and and me, uh, then you can do so on Patreon. And among my many problems is my inability to say my name, but it is Donal Dineen. And uh, so that's where you'll find me on Patreon. And then also, actually, if you're listening to the show and uh, simply because the staff failed to turn off your podcast machine, and you have a spare boat, or even a small boat, then uh, you can get in touch at donal at MakeMeAnIsland.ie, And uh, some of the great revolutions have begun with uh, the borrowing of boats, but and a transmitter too, and an aerial, by the way. So donal at MakeMeAnIsland.ie, if you want to get in touch. And um, I want to thank very much my producer, Ian Cudmore. He is, in fact, uh, the Thaunsta when it comes to uh, the Make Me An Island cabinet and the minister responsible Turning, uh, making silk purses out of sows' ears. So, thanks very much, Ian. And one of the things I want to point you in the direction of is something that's happening. If you're listening today, Sunday, nobody knows, let's face it, what day it is anymore. But this is, as I'm speaking right now, a beautiful Sunday morning in Dublin City. And tonight at 10 p.m. Central European Time, or 5 p.m. New York time, the Irish Art Centre, along with This Ain't No Disco, is hosting a concert by the great Junior Brother. And uh, so, yeah, 10 p.m. Irish time, and you can find the link on the Junior Brother page or on This Ain't No Disco. And speaking of This Ain't No Disco, um, we set up it in 2017, myself and Miles O'Reilly. But the genesis of the idea goes back a few years before to 2014. And it was at that time that a few things happened, as well as being a pretty tough year in lots of ways. There were some great things happened. Well, primarily Kerry won the All-Ireland for the last time. And then uh, there was also, oh yeah, we went to the Willie Clancy in Biltown Balbay and we made a little film there, which you can find on the YouTube and also lynched, released Cold Old Fire. And all those moments are significant in different ways because Over the past while, um, in the past few weeks here on Make Mean Island, I've been talking about various conditions in which revolutions in music music occurred in all sorts of places around the world. But over the past six years, starting in 2014, I've been very aware that there's a revolution happening in this country and uh, it's been wave after wave of amazing music. Central to all of that has been the sound of Lancôme and Rady Pete, and I'm delighted to say that Rady is my guest on Make Me an Island today. And um, as well as being the greatest in terms of musician and singer, uh, she's also probably the most humble. And um, she has a finely tuned bullshit detector, just like the concertina. So I'm not going to go on too much except to say that she's on the line. And uh, we're going to uh, she's going to be my co-pilot on the show today. Um, I have been getting amazing correspondence from people all over the world reminds me of uh, being back on the radio for the first time and just that mind blowing fact of being part of people's days, evenings, mornings, whatever, in various places. Uh, So I just want to dedicate this next song to you. And um, if, uh, like here in Dublin, the sunshine is general right now, then I hope you're enjoying it. If there are any clouds, the Zurich sisters are here to blow them away. And they're good with blowing away cobwebs as well, by the way.
1: Way out in how I know now where the folks you meet all know a thing Or, too. Lived a lad of great ambition who had set as his life's mission to excel upon his uddity old...
2: today.
1: And he'd play a little tune on his Spanish guitar. He'd mingle with the a song, the sweet refrain. In the evening in the cactus, he would get a lot of practice on his udity he was trailing, you would always hear him wailing on his Once a big shot from the city heard him warbling and the company was a da de then he said, "Look here, my sonny, you can make a lot of money with a dodo, dodo, doo." And he played a little tune on his Spanish, Spanish, Spanish guitar. He'd mingle with a song this week for free. Then our hero took a dip and packed his rip and took a trip and soon was singing o'er the radio to you. If the Swiss heard what he's earning, green with envy they be turning when he... Soon he met a little maiden who with talents was laden, and she fell for him like flowers for the dew. And he wished not to evade her, and he used to serenade her with his... And he'd play a little tune on his Spanish guitar. He'd mingle with a song that sweet refrain. I don't need another lady. I don't need another letter, another
0: letter, Hopefully one of these days I'm going to wake up and the world's going to uh, look like that sounds, uh, but uh, <laughs> it could be a while. That's the De Zurich sisters and uh, the Arizona y- yodeler. Um, rady Pete, thank you very much uh, for joining us on Make Me an Island and uh, and for telling me about the album that that's taken from Mata La Pena. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me.
3: Yeah, I got told about that album by, by a good friend that I'll probably talk about later because uh, there's another track off that uh, compilation that uh, I think I've picked um to play Mm -hmm. on the show it's an amazing compilation though that um that record label Mississippi Records are the ones who want put out Abner J as well and I just think they have amazing taste you know
0: yeah and they do it in in a way that uh even though they you know that that ethnic music collection the um uh the secret museum of mankind there's eight volumes of it and like it's it's put together in a very idiosyncratic yet really beautiful and believable way, and uh, I think sometimes labels that reissue stuff can kind of get lost in the detail. But I just love what they do, and um, and that that compilation actually when you recommended it, Raydi went on to Bandcamp, and it's there. You can actually um, it's one of those ones that you can and pay what you can afford. But um, I really recommend it, Mata Lepena.
3: Yeah, yeah. I um, I actually only heard the whole compilation um, maybe three weeks ago for the first time, Um it's just amazing. Every yeah. track is so different, and it's just like it's a real um, it's a good brain holiday from what's going on at the moment. So you know.
0: yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I I think I I think that's uh, on that bombshell. Um, I think that's something that you know is really needed. And and when I listen to that music on on uh, that collection and the stuff that's uh, in that um. Uh, the secret uh, Museum of mankind collection um it's just it's amazing to listen to stuff that's unaffected by anything to do with the modern world and that includes you know like the any kind of ideas of uh, a music business or anything to do with performing your music for anything other than the pure joy of it and to hear it particularly in this time it's um it's it's amazing to be able to go to the, to go there you know
3: yeah, yeah, it's just uh, it feels it all feels very honest, the whole thing, you know. Mm-hmm. I, but I think their motivations, like as a label, from what I've heard about them as people and as a label, just seems to be total, just pure the music as well, yeah. you know. Like love the music, sorry. Like I don't think they they're a commercial uh, enterprise really at all. Yeah, they just uh, love unearthing these things and want people to hear them. You know, yeah, it's, it's the it's, impression it's... I
0: get. Absolutely. And I think that, yeah, same here. Um, Rayleigh, just on the, in, in terms of uh, what's happening, you, you just before all of this kicked off, you were um, in the, at the beginning, really, of, of what was planned to be a long time in the States. Am I right? With Lancôme?
3: Um, not particularly long time. In the States it was, um, I think just over two weeks in the States, but it was, uh, the start of, yeah, like a lot of touring, uh, a load of gigs, um, but with Lancome and a few solo things lined up as well. So that was kind of us going back to work, having taken a bit of time off. Um, I, as usual, didn't actually take time off at all and yeah. did a load of gigs, um, just on my own. But, um, y- yeah, that was kind of the start of us, um, doing months and months touring and, uh yeah like it was it was a strange experience um to for the penny to drop about what was happening in the world yeah. while on tour because you're kind of living in a bubble you know what i mean like you're not interacting with um the same people every day and you're not in the same place every day and you mm-hmm. kind of live in this bubble in the van um, and so I think it actually took a while for the for it to sink in uh, with us what was happening, yeah. and uh, it also felt really weird being in America because I I felt like um, this was very kind of apocalyptic, you know, it, loads of the stuff about this just felt like a film anyway, mm. um, especially seeing all these like kind of empty empty streets and like you know um, just the feeling. And uh, all of those films I've ever seen, like uh, post-apocalyptic films, I've always thought to myself, like, okay, so rule number one is don't be in America. Like, <laughs> don't end up in America if it's the end of the world, because yeah. it just seems like a bad place to be. And then I was looking around going like, ah, shit, I'm in America. <laughs> um and it was there was just loads of mad stuff happening as well. Like our flight uh, home got cancelled, you know, and there was there was a bit of kind of uh, racing around trying to get people on on kind of uh, changed flights home and mm-hmm. stuff.
0: It
3: so it it got. Um, I'm certainly will never forget it. Yeah, you know, I'll never forget. Uh, So you
0: you were really on the cusp of of that sort of closing down of the airports and, or rather, it becoming almost impossible to get flights. Um, And 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 thankfully, you all made it back. So you you all made it back and stayed together then for 14 days.
3: Um, No, we made it back, and we had to separate then. Um, Okay. So, you know, because not all of us live in Dublin these days and stuff. And so what we did was we. yeah, we just went to our houses and basically, uh, yeah, like really self isolated. Yeah, mm-hmm. for for fourteen days because we were mm-hmm. like we had been everywhere. Like the last thing you should be doing during something like this is being yeah. on tour. You know, yeah. there was just no way you could follow the guidelines. So luckily, none of us um, ever got any symptoms or anything. So that was yeah. you know once we were home two weeks, we were like okay, well now it's just whatever we've interacted with since we got home. Uh, but this is the longest I've ever not seen the lads for in. Yeah. I don't know, 10 years, maybe 8 yeah. years, I don't know. And it's it's funny like I actually I've never been able to miss them before but I miss them now, you know.
0: <laughs> actually really uh, miss them. <laughs> well, I can imagine. But the thing is, rady um I I you know, I was thinking about your situation today obviously before talking to you and um I suppose I'm the the main thing I think is that you're you were lucky that you had time to to uh, make an impact with the Live Long Day and do all of that and bring it to a level that was just incredible, and it was an intense thing that happened to be able to you know to go from that peak to being separated and alone uh, for a while, but. Um, but I, I hope uh, you know. For sure, but that we you're are st- so
3: lucky that we got to do it. Though. Yeah. You know, when I think of bands that are, are, you know, we're maybe in the middle of recording or we're just about to release something, or yeah. you know, um, like that, that must be heartbreaking. We are so lucky uh, mm-hmm. that we got to release this, and we even got to tour it and play it for people or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that like so many people are not getting to do that, and they probably don't know when when they're going to do that. Yeah. And at that point, you've already poured all your money into making it, and you know, printing the vinyl and doing the whole thing, and then you're suddenly just like at this standstill, and you can't, yeah. you can't do it the way you wanted to, and that's that's really that's heartbreaking. I'm, I really, my heart goes out to people who are in that situation at the moment, and I feel very lucky that we got to to release it the way we had intended. You know.
0: Yeah, I I would say that's that's definitely true, and and um, I think we we're lucky too that that you got to release it and tour it. I I'll just say on a personal thing about the Live Long Day was, um, it's been a long time since. Uh, the release of an album made me want to go see every show that you played. And I, and I managed <laughs> sort of, uh, I think, uh, four full shows in a row. But, you know, back to the point of and it was it was good for me personally that, um you know, that I could uh, relive those dreams of of uh, sort of motorway dreams of, of going following a band around. But uh, th- across those four shows, uh, there was never a bad moment. And I think you just brought it to a level in terms of uh, what you can do uh, within the group that it, you could feel very satisfied that you got to that point and, and whatever happens next, obviously, um, I can't wait to hear that, but um, but I'm really happy that you got to do that. I, I do feel, though, that there's, there's such a sea change that um, in terms of speaking in general terms away from Lancôme, there are so many artists in this country, musicians who have dreams or been dashed, you know, at a point where yeah. it's very hard to see how, you know, there's discussing a way back is kind of where we're at right now, right?
3: Yeah. And like, it's really awful because you're right, like the amount of amazing people like producing, like just wonderful work, you know, Mm -hmm. and it it was already hard being, you know, a musician. And in a way, like we're almost well geared for it because like we're used to being broke and we're used to not having much stability and sporadic kind of money and all that kind of stuff. But in another way, it's even more heartbreaking, you know, because you've been slogging at it for years. And then something like this comes and it's like a bolt out of the blue. And you're like, well, how, you know, how are you supposed to make it work now? Mm-hmm. But I think people will, you know, yeah. I think uh, like like uh, apart from like I think we have an amazing caliber of musicianship in Ireland. But I also think we're very resourceful about getting the stuff out, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and letting people hear it. So I think people just need to. You know or not need to. i think people will come up with ways of getting the stuff out and making the whole thing kind of tick over again you know because yeah. all anyone really cares about i suppose at the end of the day is like getting to make what they want to make and getting to to show it to people so
0: yeah you know and, and also i mean Staying on the bright side for a minute, I think the, the you know, the artistic responses to such a, I mean, it's, it's at times like these we need the artists most of all. And it's, it's obviously, you know, a case in point that this is one thing that's going to inspire a lot of people to make amazing work to and to do things, you know, that maybe they previously wouldn't have tried in your own case, really. Um, there being, you know, uh, the first opportunity to really to, to rest, I suppose, for a long time. How does um, how is that going for you? I mean, is that a welcome? That must be a welcome thing.
3: Um, it, it is like I yeah, I, I definitely have never had this long arrest in or well, not never. I mean, I haven't had this long arrest in, I'd say, about four or five years um, and in ways that's been like brilliant because, you know, I, I hadn't realized that I um, I do keep myself kind of under pressure to do things and to, you know, um, to do them well. And like, you know, even just like gigs, interviews, all that kind of stuff. You know, there's just yeah. this kind of low level, like, you know, get the job done do it well and stuff. Um kind of personal standards thing and i hadn't realized that i was just kind of constantly under that pressure and now that i'm not under it and i can be as useless as i want every day yeah. that's really relaxing so that side of it's been great but the other side is that like you know you can't control what kind of brain you have and i have uh sometimes a bit of an anno- like i annoy myself um, but but I, I definitely have to keep doing things so i've been working on a lot of solo material at the moment mm-hmm. and i've been um i've been um trying to uh, expand my music theory knowledge. Uh, so I've been studying music theory books as well. I've also been like trying to make clothes. I've been altering all my clothes. I've been um, cooking loads. I've been, you know what I mean? Like just, I um, I don't sit still well. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But uh, it's just kind of doing different things. And it is lovely to have that kind of uh, brain space to just think about things and to just be like, and also to just be like, okay I'm not feeling great today and you know what I don't actually have to do anything and just be like right today is cancelled yeah. like I'll think about it tomorrow because that's not usually an option in, mm-hmm. in my normal life you know it's real like you can he Could wake up and not feel like doing something, but it doesn't matter, you still have to do, you know, yeah. Like, one, one of those well. things
0: that's uh, that really struck me when when seeing all those shows last year was just the extent to which you have to strive to meet that that standard every day, where you know it's not automatic for the people or anything like that. So, I'm really glad to hear that all of that stuff's happening. What sort of music books, um, really, have you been reading?
3: Um, I have been reading, they're called um. I won't be able to remember the publishing house or anything. They're called the AB of music theory and one's pink and one's blue. So the first one, a part one is, um, pink and part two is blue. And they were recommended to me by a load of musician friends. And it basically just takes you from absolutely no prior knowledge of, um, of music theory to about like what a level of, like of, I think about grade eight, Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's fascinating you know i've never actually had the the time to sit down and like really look at, at um at, at that as as much you know like i have my own kind of system for how i understand it and like i have mm-hmm. you know obviously understanding of it but i've never because i didn't do classical music like i don't i didn't do from like this point to this point and all the bits in between mm-hmm. so i've been filling in the blanks and it's been fascinating i'm sure i'm an annoying everybody though because the only way i can because uh, you read it like when i read it i'm like right okay i wonder what that means so i have to go and play it yeah. and the only thing i can play on in the house with two hands that's kind of like a piano is i have this little uh, uh like mouth blown melodica so I just walk around the house with my music theory books and my melodica playing these really like disjointed intervals and chord sequences. And I'd say everyone in the house wants to kill me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that sounds like a beautiful thing. And, and <laughs> come here, Rayleigh, what's the is the pink and blue? Um, Is that is there any is there any reason for that? No. Uh,
3: For the, for well, the
0: uh, colors? No. Well, actually, no. no, probably not. Um, I actually <laughs> just read something recently about pink was originally a, the boys' color and blue. Did you know that? Um, what that,
3: gender-wise, it used to be
0: reversed. Yeah, it was reversed. Yeah, I think something to do um, with uh, Roosevelt's wife mm-hmm. wearing a dress that she wore at the inauguration. This is this is yeah. This may not be true, but uh, that is something that could be could be true. Uh, I I know, but the books. So basically, is there is there like a are they a volume or anyway? It's just two books on theory. There's no real um, the pink and blue thing doesn't mean anything
3: there's no sorry say again
0: the pink and blue doesn't really signify anything they're just two books on the same it's just two volumes of the same issue on the same topic
3: um yeah like i don't think the colors have any significance okay. just the, the pink one is the is uh, part a and yeah. the blue one's part b so you're it's a bit like blue is the harder one
0: basically okay yeah 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 <laughs> and, and, and you've moved on to you've, you've gone to the second one at this point
3: I have yeah yeah I have but I've been cherry picking as well you know like I'm not I'm a demon for being like um yeah I don't care about this yeah <laughs> just like move on and are there like, things that the just com- that
0: that completely blow your mind that you had previously no idea about
3: well I realized that I um really like this thing That don't ask me to explain it now but uh it's it used to be called the devil in music um and it's uh, a combination of notes within a scale, and uh, I realised that I actually really liked that, and I had used it before, and I was like, oh, because it, it was called the devil in music because um, it was considered very unsatisfactory to the ear um, back in the day. okay. But uh, a lot of metal bands use it.
0: Oh right, wow, yeah. that that, that there you without go. going nugget. any further, that explains a multitude. Um, so. Uh, let's jump on to uh, our uh, topic of the day, Rady, really, which is to talk about some key points, musical points in for yourself, right? Um, so we're going to start with Karen Dalton. And um, yeah, anyway, maybe you could tell me why we're going to start there.
3: Well, so yeah, like you've give, you gave me the impossible task of picking yeah, only sorry a few that. tracks that were meant to be like formative well tracks. we can do we could do a so, second
0: part but anyway that's sorry yeah, about that we'd
3: need to do about you know a year a pink um, and a blue version <laughs> yeah basically it's really hard to pick you know it really is so i kind of I wanted to pick things that I have never played before on something, you know, like yep. on a kind of a on a show before, and that I haven't gotten to really talk about much uh, before. So the Karen Dalton one is more um, kind of because I wanted to do a combination of um of tracks that have really kind of uh, piqued my interest um over the last couple of years and recently, and also ones that would have had like um you know, like a, a part in forming the music I yeah. make, you know, what kind of keep points like kind of formative musical moments for me in my life and so Karen Dalton is kind of an interesting one because um a couple of years ago maybe 10 years ago I got uh, much more into traditional singing um than I had been I started researching songs a lot more and I got into two kind of offshoots of it more more than others one was the the style of traveler singing in in, in Ireland and England and the other one was Appalachian singing And so the American tradition, and I got really fascinated um, by both those specific variances of traditional singing. And um, like, so when I was really getting into the Appalachian stuff, I had never been to America at all and actually started playing five string banjo. And I started listening to people like Gene Ritchie and uh, Hedy West and and Karen Dalton, because actually uh, an old friend of mine, Jem Mitchell, who is a phenomenal singer himself, he's one of my favorite voices of all time. Um, He told me once, he was like, have you ever heard this woman, Karen Dalton, because you remind me of her. And I hadn't. So I went home and and I listened to her and I didn't think I sounded like her at all. And I still don't. But I, Jesus, it really struck me. I was like, wow, that is beautiful, like, and weird and beautiful and kind of harsh and like just, mm. you know, really good. So I thought she was like this track as well. She's playing the banjo. I love the way she plays the banjo on it. I love the singing in it. This is a traditional song she's singing as well. But I kind of, I'm picking her as one of an example of a load of different kind of old time singers yeah. um, that that really... um. Th- kind of got me really obsessed with it um years ago, you know, and I think that my own singing um borrows uh quite a bit actually from Appalachian singing, you know, um in terms of like tone and maybe like uh volume and stuff. Um but yeah so this is like you know, this was um a big moment for me when I when I heard this track and also Katie Krill from Karen
0: Dalton. Yeah. Thanks Rady let's hear it same old man by Karen Dalton. There's a, a lot of pain in the voice, isn't there, uh, Rady? Really? I mean, she she had a really tough uh, life. And uh, I think yeah. you can really hear that in everything she she had recorded.
3: Yeah. And I think that might be something that I'm really drawn to actually in, in um, people's music like you, you did um, an episode of this on Adner J. And I think you can really hear his third life and his singing. And I'm a big fan of Jackson C. Frank as well. Same thing. I think you can really hear Life Lived and um, there's a you know mo- you know that moon dog track mm-hmm. do your thing. I cry every time I hear it. Yeah,
2: because <laughs> of Moondog. his life and yeah. the
3: combination of you know. So there's something about like that, um, like the actual person's life kind of impacting how you hear their music. That yeah. um, that certainly gets me emotionally. Um, and Karen Dalton is definitely one of those. I can't always view Karen Dalton and Jackson C. Frank as male and female versions of each other, almost. Yeah. You know, um, uh, like I always draw parallels between them just for being kind of outsiders and just having a really rough life and of course mm-hmm. both of them died homeless and stuff you know like all that kind of stuff
0: but um yeah and and, and there are you know from are. from the reports that are there her her life even before she came to new york i mean she had by 21. she
3: divorced or something twice 20, uh, 20, twice yeah, but, and,
0: and there were like mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's a lot of conjecture about her life but um, just on the point of, of, you know, the fact that the, the biographical detail, you know, it, it's not surprising how difficult to her, her, how challenging her life was. But also, isn't there something that you can hear in a voice without any of that information that, that kind of imparts something to do with, you know, a deeper emotion or something? There's, there's something very clearly ringing out in her voice. I don't know. It's uh, the, the way yeah. that it shines so brightly for some people. I mean, it's a beacon, really, isn't it?
3: I think it's to do with, um, you know, honesty or something when you're singing. I don't mean to get too theoretical about it, but, like, I think what's striking about her voice is that she's not actually trying to make it sound uh, palatable.
2: Really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's
3: just singing the way she feels like singing, you know, and there's something about that that I think really uh, it's very uh, emotive because you're not... um, you're not uh distracted by these kind of layers of aesthetic that someone's putting on their voice or anything you know you you feel like they're just like they're not trying to be good Mm -hmm. they're just trying to sing it um
0: isn't that the kind of thing that i was saying about about those recordings uh in that you know the mississippi records collection um of the ethnic music that from the 20s and 30s and 40s is that that unaffected spirit in the recordings, that there's no dilution, there's no artifice, there's nobody trying to be anything except being themselves. And, and I guess it, that's the kernel of truth that's in that music that keeps us going back to it.
3: Yeah, I think so. Like, I think uh, it's definitely that would be a, a massive element that I find really appealing, you know what I mean, in, in music. Um, at the same time, I also love some really polished, produced stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like there's the full spectrum. But like, I think there's something really um, forgetting emotional responses. It's it certainly um, kind of cuts to that a lot faster, I mm-hmm.
0: think. Yeah. And on the subject of, of polished produced stuff, um, Rady, maybe it's time to start talking about great Scott Walker. Do you want to introduce <laughs> this one?
3: Uh, yeah, so Scott Walker, I had, I had never really listened to Scott Walker, and it was uh, my bandmate, uh, Conor Dermody who he just got really obsessed with Scott Walker a couple of years ago, uh, a good few years ago now. And uh, we were housemates at the time, and he kept talking about Scott Walker. But um, so this is one of the ones that it's more, it's a more recent um, kind of edi- addition to my musical world. And it's an example of, uh, like, I'm sure like you, I am constantly just looking for new music that makes me really excited about music. You know what I mean? Like it's mm. a proper, and um, like it's an addiction. It's a yeah. complete obsession. You know, like I, um, and if I haven't found something that really gets me in a long time, I get very sad actually. So I have to kind of go looking for it. So, um, this was one of the ones that like I was, I was giddy when I heard this the first time. Like I was in, I remember I was in my kitchen, and um, because I was trying to remember, I was like, what was that amazing soundtrack that Scott Walker did not that long ago and there's this really dramatic um, opening in it and um, yeah so and I managed to I went online I found this and mm-hmm. I was like that's it and as soon as it started, I was like I was jumping around the kitchen I was so excited now a lot of people tell me and this is I will say just warning before this is played because I know a few people that whenever I try play this they leave the room because they're like this is making me super anxious why are you playing this? This makes me yeah, like it's meant to make you feel anxious. Yeah. And is it an isn't it amazing how well it works? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, th- th- I... You know,
3: like it, it it really does the job it's meant to do here, and I mm-hmm. find that kind of exciting. But it is a bit like a like an aural panic attack. Just you know, fair warning. Yeah. Um, and it's from the the soundtrack, uh, Childhood of a Leader, that he did.
0: Couple of years ago. Yeah, and it this is this is in from 2015. He he died when two years ago, or or it was um not, in um, the not too recent past anyway. But um yeah, but no,
3: recently enough. So this was one of his last soundtracks. Yeah, soundtracks
0: and here. I suppose another thing to say before hearing it is that you know this is like a, a 60s. Uh, boy boy, boy band boy he was a pop star in, a, in ways that you know his artistic uh, integrity is just astonishing that he, this is the kind oh. of sound that he's making at the end of his career. I mean we'll talk about that in a minute, but this is opening by yeah. Scott Walker. So it's from the soundtrack uh, to the film The Childhood of a Leader. Uh, that's by Scott Walker. And that's the opening oh from the same um, incredibly dramatic music. I mean, it leaves no room for argument. And, and yeah, the trigger warning, that's that's good uh, radio. Really. I'm, I'm just laughing at the idea of it making you yeah. giddy. It's brilliant that you could react to such a, in such a way. Um, but it's all encompassing. That, makes me, though,
3: that track makes me so excited. Yeah. Like, I, I find it very it's very exciting. Like, yeah. Um, there's just so much going on, um, but I can totally understand how some people don't maybe find that difficult to listen to. I think sometimes the more you listen to music and sometimes if you play music and make music, like you're kind of looking for things yeah. that are quite extreme and that are confusing and that, you know what I mean? Like you kind of end up looking for kind of weird stuff sometimes
0: uh-huh. to kind of I mean- satisfy each itch. Sure. Yeah, and uh, and and I mean, it takes all sorts, right? I mean, there's so many colors in the rainbow. But um, just on the Scott Scott Walker point, um, just what I was saying about the integrity thing, really, that like, you know, you, there's there's there there aren't that many examples. Um, when when I was reading about him today, um, he he just reminded me of Mark Hollis. I don't know if you know Mark Hollis, uh, who who died I, tragically I last know. year. Well, he had a band called Talk Talk, who were like. Uh, you Know, had um, a lot of uh, pop hits and were on top of the pops and stuff, but yeah, c- I think I know. Yeah, but yeah. then he used the them. um, actually, you know, I, I'd recommend there's a trilogy of albums that Talk Talk made, beginning with a, a thing called The Color of Spring, the following one was The Spirit of Eden, and then there was The Laughing Stock. But, but, um, but my point being that he kind of he he mm. used his his pop career and his success within that arena to propel him into a kind of a musical. Dream place that, uh, and, and so, yeah, and I just love people who, who take that route, you know, who go from making a splash to just doing their, the thing that they want to do. Um, and Scott Walker, I, I, I think, to me anyway, he's, he's very much one of those people.
3: Oh, yeah, like, I think he probably has to be like the prime one of the prime examples of people yeah. who like you can't you can't say they didn't just follow what they wanted to do, you know, and I think like it's incredible to see the um kind of the spectrum of music he made in his career and the progression like that in itself is fat is really fascinating you know and like that obviously that's one of his soundtracks you just heard there but like it like if people haven't heard his singing voice then like it's so different and mm-hmm. his lyrics are so different yeah. and to have come from that kind of real like pop like the walker brothers um like it's just it's mad like that one person can occupy all of those uh like different styles and um and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's and, all sincere because that's obviously what he wanted to do and like it's it's it is difficult to find examples of people who do that who involve so much uh throughout their lives you know and, yeah. and continue to want to make music you know and and continue to be curious about it like for their entire life mm-hmm. it's very to be honest i find it really encouraging like you know if you're ever worried about like uh you know what if I get sick of it or what you know what I mean like it's it's I think it's an encouraging example as not just a musician but any kind of a creative person to mm-hmm. see someone do something like that you know
0: the commitment to the sound and to his belief in it you know like to, to put himself uh you know in his late 60s as he was when he was making that there to put himself right at the coalface making stuff like that I mean it's as you say it's it's very inspiring and there there's there aren't that many paths that are so profound all the way, you know, that are just getting better. Did you have Cormac as your kind of the guided tour to the interior world, world of, of Scott Walker,
3: of Scott Walker? Yeah, definitely. Like, I, he um, he kind of talked, he talked to me about him a lot um, uh, back then. And like, um, yeah, uh, like because he had um, he had just seen what's the documentary called, uh, is it 30th Century Man? Oh,
0: OK, not seen it, but it's been recommended.
3: Yeah, no, um, uh, it's excellent. And so he had seen that Cormac had, I always feel funny call, calling Cormac, Cormac, uh, we actually just call him Cause Coz or Cozzy. Okay, so I'm just yeah, going to, yeah. from now on, if I say cause Coz or Cozzy, that's who I mean. Yeah. So yeah, Kazi was like, got really obsessed with uh, with Scott Walker, but um, I th- I, he's totally right though. You he's know? totally
0: like, right, as usual. He's he's, totally, his Scott yeah. Walker dreams are fully justified. Oh,
3: totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, he, like, you know, he's always right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I can't argue with you ready on that point but listen yeah. um look it's okay we're, we're getting through these right so um next one can I just say right before we we get into Enya just a personal thing yeah. is that um you know it's it's uh it's it's undoubtedly a sort of a moment in music when and and I was there when when Orinoco Flow came out and um I remember being in, there was a record shop in Rapmines, the name escapes me, but they had a fantastic sound system and, uh, you know, back in the day, going to hear records, it, it was it mattered that a, a record shop had a good sound system, but it was in there on a Thursday evening that I heard Orinoco uh, flow for the first time. Um, where were you when you first heard Enya?
3: Um, I think I was, now, um, I don't think I was alive yet. No, you
0: definitely So, not.
3: yeah, I was born in 1987, mm-hmm. so... Um, I like you know when things were actually coming out, I was too young, but uh, or possibly not alive yet. I think one of her albums is definitely
0: 1987, yeah. But um, it was that one, that one is '87 because that was the the beginning of, yeah. Anyway, I know it to be that time, (laughs) yeah.
3: But um, I actually can't remember the first time I heard Anya, but.
0: Uh, actually do you know what it was kind of a a trick question sorry being smart arse there uh Uh, no it was more it was more like uh, i wanted to tell my story about uh i I will say though but
3: that must must have been amazing though to
0: hear it like a thing coming out my point being my jaw dropped i was what the hell is that that is unbelievable just that her taking the the song form and uh, that that she was probably familiar with through her family um and turning it into this just electronic dream, it was just uh, insane. It felt like something from another planet via Donegal.
3: Yeah, totally. Like she, like she, like it is its own genre, uh, yeah, which is yeah. the hardest thing to do. Absolutely,
0: like, because it's any amusing. you can,
3: yeah, if you can invent a genre, then like, like you're probably, a bit of a genius because yeah. like it's just so hard to do and the thing about Enya is that like I well I think that Enya is going to be newly appreciated more in the next couple of years because yeah. I think it's old enough now that people will kind of like maybe come back to it because I think what happens is people get a little bog- bogged down with this whole kind of new age Celtic mysticism thing about Enya which is you know but it's fair enough right but music <laughs> yeah it's definitely it's, it's fair way enough. more it's way more interesting than that fairness interesting but the the track I chose um well, I love I love this track because it's kind of like dark and yeah, right So obviously, like I like kind of slightly kind of dark things. but also, I think it's this one has no lyrics. so it's like, yeah, you take away all that kind of like Celtic mysticism element, right and you're just like I think this is like a really interesting example of how you use a studio to make music as well because it's all layers and it's all production and it's like it's so fascinating because it is such a simple idea it's just a hum and then there's a bit of a slightly different bit where the chord changes and then it's back to the same hum and that's it apart from that it is layers it's all layers and that's the thing that she did but I also I have to tell you that I went I really went um I went full Enya. <laughs> um, where, after lockdown happened, because um, I do sometimes listen to quite kind of like, you know, st- stuff like maybe the Scott Walker thing that we just heard or Karen Dalton things with a bit of with a bit of sadness in them or whatever. And I ended up one day I was just really sad and I was like, no, nope, I'm getting out of here. So I just listened to Anya for the whole day and it was wonderful. It was like a brain holiday. And I ended up looking into her loads because I was trying to figure out. I was like, did she did she do all this herself? And I found out that it's actually, she would say herself in interviews that like, it's actually three people that did Enya as a person. So Uh it's her her, and then a married couple, Nikki and Roma Ryan. So Mm -hmm. Nikki Ryan was doing doing sound engineering, producing it. um, And he was mad into all the Phil Spector stuff and the Beach Boys and the Beatles and all that kind of stuff, which makes sense. This all made total sense to me. And then his wife, Roma, was the one who wrote the lyrics. So it was a a collaborative thing between three people. Mm -hmm. But what I found out when I was researching it, that I was like, go on was that she made she used to she made all her first demos in our team because she used to live in our team
0: wow i yeah. wow i've seen her turrets in docky and I i'm just from can't... our
3: team sorry i should clarify that i'm from our team yeah that's right. probably the so, most exciting thing that's ever happened in our
0: team <laughs> and and so she she was living there i mean she was obviously originally from donegal so all of that happened in our team that's amazing
3: yeah um, if, if you've never been to our town it's just you wouldn't imagine it would happen in our town for anyone who hasn't been <laughs>
0: um what what about the, the the fact when you when you said i was that you were just said you were going to go full i thought you meant that you'd been out at her gaff or she'd invited you there has anybody awesome. one of the things i no. like is just the absolute sheer mystery of it you know she's a
3: specter she's a ghost
0: Maybe it's all it's all dark adventure. and yeah there's no there's no light in, in on that thing you know i i love that idea um i don't know whether it was her house but um, I I will say that um, one day I was out walking in Dalky, a beautiful day and it could have been her house but there was a house with two turrets, I wanted to be her house and on both sides there was an actual poodle that looked like, as in identical poodles in each turret and uh, no, it was there that I invented probably. a joke about the Orinoco overflow, but I won't tell you the joke. <laughs> um, but um, anyway, make- it
3: together in my mind. What? Yeah.
0: <laughs> but anyway, look. I mean, that part of it, that whole fantasy thing of like, does she actually exist? I think that's just wonderful, an amazing trick, and like, let's hear the music. Anyway, and I mean, we'll get back to talking about yeah. it. But it's here. And yeah, now that you mention it, ready that not a lot happens in there. Incredibly minimal piece of work, but like how Yeah, effective. but
3: incredibly full though as well. Yeah, and no it totally demonstrates that thing where she like it it's a world that is absolutely a world. Like yeah. you know, either you step into I should say as well, that's obviously the track that was uh sampled for the Fuji's um Oh yeah. Ready or, not, ready or not, <laughs> yes, ready you. or not. Yes.
0: ready or not. Oh, oh, you've heard them before. Well, then I I won't tell you my mountain out of a Noel Hill joke later. Um. So. Ah, I have also <laughs> made that
3: joke. Oh my
0: god. Um, <laughs> live joke synthesizing. Uh, um. So. Um. Really. Oh, say yeah. But it is. It is an. It's a world, isn't it? I mean, our talk of of planets wasn't misplaced. It's a kind of a planet the a planet.
3: Yeah. It is. Um. Yeah, I just, uh, I love it. I think it's incredible, you know, and that's like, that's a minimal, um, uh, like example of it. Like, you know, like, like, for example, the song Arnokko flow and it's got these like crazy, like, like the big harps and the big drums. And it's just so, the scale is so big. It makes total sense when, when I read that Nicky Ryan was big into Phil Spector, because I was Mm -hmm. like, this is wall of sound. It is wall of of sound. Sound With like, with synths and harps and weird drums and like all the components are different, but like the concept is kind of like all the vocal layering and stuff. But um, it's just done, I don't know, it's just done so well. Mm-hmm. I, I just think it's brilliant. I really think that there's going to be like an Enya appreciation revival sometime soon and everyone will get really, like there already is.
0: But, uh, well, you know. I think financially the appreciation has been everlasting for, for Enya <laughs> and her partners, but it's yeah. more, I mean, uh, you know, it's really good to, to talk about it because there is, there's a little bit of a thing um, with where it ended up and uh, it's good to, to yeah. review it in such a way because, you know, it sounds because just, it sounds wonderful.
3: People, you know that um you know that film Intermission
0: and oh, Colin but, yeah. Finney
3: is in it and he's there talking about artists like Clannad and Enya and stuff and he's mad into Celtic mysticism and it's kind of weird because he's like a detective. I think a lot of people actually kind of have, if that's all tied up in the view of Enya, you know, they're like, it's not cool or something yeah it's, um but it's like musically it's fascinating yeah i think
0: it's just brilliant yeah that's actually a, a great film it was john crowley made that intermission um so we'll move on um and uh we go from a mountain to a knoll hill so look we're, we're going to dramatically uh, change course of direction now um, and yeah. can i just give you a little bit of background radio about uh tony mcmahon and noel hill yeah. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the album in Knocknagree, but the place that I come from in Rathmore and Kerry—it's in the heart of Slieve Lucre, It's kind of crucially over the Cork border. But um, so there's there's uh, three villages in that heartland: it's Rathmore and Kinavguilla, which are both in Kerry, and then Knocknagree is in Cork. And Knocknagree is slightly higher up than Guineaguilla and uh, uh, sorry, both of them are, are on hill hilltops. But um, Knocknagree is slightly higher, and uh, on frosty nights, all through the winter, on Sunday nights, I would hear the music from Dan Connells at five miles, roughly speaking, and really clearly. And and that was one of my kind of first, really, I mean, that's one of the first times I noticed music was it coming from the hill in Knocknagree. So um, and when I was a student and I, I used to go there, take photographs, uh, did a project uh, on Dan Connells, and then years later, discovered the magic of that album of Noel Hill and yeah. Tony McMahon in knock and agree and uh, I suppose yeah so that's that's just kind of the background in terms of my own love for for the music that they made um, yeah, was that your introduction to, to I mean you you must have played and, and met both men I presume but was was that an album that was big for you as well
3: yeah and it was would have been played in my house. So the track um, that we're going to hear now would have been played, like, so much in my house by my parents. But I was actually taught concertina by Nose hill, And this, like, I have to... Like, I still find this just so exciting to listen to. And mm. I, I want... When we were talking about formative tracks, like, I needed to include this because I've never really, like... I kind of have mentioned that, like, I, you know, p- grew up playing concertina and uh, my family all play concertina and stuff. But I've never, like, made enough of, like... A, kind of
0: you never made you you never made a mountain out of a knoll hill
3: i didn't i didn't of course i didn't but um (laughs) like
0: sorry
2: you you know
3: like you have a kind of musical um sort of tangents or like kind of offshoots you go on like Mm -hmm. um and this is the biggest one i probably ever went on was that my only musical ambition for years of my life was to be able to play concertino like noel hill Like, you know, I had nothing outside that I had now I had, you know, nothing could be bigger than that for me because Mm -hmm. I started learning Constantine, you know, like maybe when I was maybe nine or 10 and he taught me and he taught me all through my teenage years, you know, and also just tunes in general, because like people talk a lot, like a lot of time when I do, um, you know, people kind of talk to me about in interviews about, you know, Lancome and all that kind of stuff. They tend to talk to me loads about singing. Everyone talks to me about singing and like the thing, like, and I like talking about singing and stuff, but like, I can't, um, uh, understate or can't, oh, sorry, overstate, complete opposite, can't overstate how much concertina was just, that was all that there existed for me for years. All I wanted to do was to be able to play like this, basically like this track
0: Yeah. Well, uh, what a beautiful introduction. Let's hear it and talk some more. breathtaking
3: it's just so exciting
0: yeah it's so <laughs> like, bloody exciting it's yeah. incredibly exciting i mean yeah i just i want to hear more about noel hill uh brady sorry I, I i've got something to say about the excitement factor but I, i'll just after you tell me more about that amazing about man noel hill.
3: yeah oh yeah just um like a phenomenal player you know um like really um I just think he's, you know, a, a wonderful player. And he was, he took the teaching really seriously. I have to say it was a real mm-hmm. kind of like, you, like, and you'd be annoyed about it loads. Like he was so stern and like, Jesus, like all you wanted for years was just like, just tell me I played it well. now. just play Tell me once I played it. Okay. Like he was not mm-hmm. big on compliments, you know, like you really, really make it major like work for any praise you ever got. You for know? a
0: reason. Yeah.
3: Um. Yeah. But, the thing is it works, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like if you get if you get people who want to get that prey, you know what I mean? Like it it will kind of um spur you on to do that. And like I I think that um you know, like he he, he was one of the main styles of Constantina just for so so many years, you know, and um I think he really inspired um a, a lot of people. Oh yeah. and, Um you know, like i I thought it was a really good musical education uh to be taught by him, but I also like you know it's it is tough you know you just want you just want him to tell you that you played it good, yeah, but you know maybe I just didn't play it good enough,
0: <laughs> so that <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's very proud fair of you enough too. and uh, and yeah. but that system Brady, um are we talking about uh the Willie Clancy being the hub of that or where was, was had you access to him uh more than that obviously
3: yeah, so I used to go to him in um uh, in Milltown and he'd always be giving out just being like, Did you do your practice or did you just go swimming again? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Oh, I didn't do one. But because um, I started going there like when I was about, like, I was going to there when I was probably about like 11 or something. Yeah. But um, no, I went to my dad used to drive me and my sister Quiva in to um, take lessons with Noel when he was still teaching every week in the Pipers Club oh, uh, yeah, right. on Henrietta Street. Yeah, before like the building was falling down, you know, and that was on Wednesday nights. And it was uh, it was very it was exciting stuff. Uh, we'd go in there and play the tunes, and then on the way home, every single time we'd try getting to buy us a big Mac on the way home um, <laughs> <laughs> from McDonald's in our town castle. Um, but yeah, we did that for years, you know. And then my younger sister, so si was taught by him as well. Mm-hmm. But um, we would not have been in the class at the same time because she's a few years younger than me. But um, yeah, so all three of us actually got taught by him.
0: Do you get um, to play with him in, in in recently, or have you done that?
3: No, I haven't. Yeah. No, I haven't gone to play with him in, in uh, yeah, years. Or I wouldn't even know how to
0: tell you how many years. Yeah, yeah. The, the years keep going by pretty fast. What yeah, about the, the, the sound of the dancers <laughs> in that radio and in, and in the oh. Nock record? I mean, just as a, as a lover of dance music of all sorts, um, like what you say, it's so electrifying just hearing that sound crashing on the on the floor. Yeah, and they're really good
3: dancers. Like, yeah. they're really good set dancers. Because actually, I think I might have a kind of... An, like, I have a nostalgia for um, that anyway, because I would have heard that music a lot uh, when I was young. But my parents, before they actually played instruments, they were set dancers. No way. Um. Yeah, yeah. They're both actually really good set dancers. And um, so they... That kind of reminds me of them. And in Milltown Malby, apart from all the messing and sessions and, uh, you know, um, music and stuff, and carrying on there's uh, a load of Kayleys happen in Milltown, and they have full live Kaylee bands play yeah. amazing music and all of the set dancers there are serious like you can't be going there and being like oh where should I stand now like they'll have none of you it's like yeah. you either know the steps or you don't yeah and it's very like uh and my parents brought me there uh, a few times when I was a teenager and I'd like my I dance with my dad and he basically just like Fling me around to where I wanted like to where I needed to be because I didn't know the steps and he basically just like boss me around and like um and so I get to join in but like like the the level of dancing there is brilliant and it's just really fun and they're all really into it and it's not like what you a lot of the times when people think about Kaylees, uh, you're thinking about like awkward teenagers being forced to dance with each other in the belt of them. It's mm-hmm. just not it's just not accurate. Like it, yeah. if you went to one of these Kaylees, you'd actually want to set dance. You'd
0: never stop dancing. Can yeah. I just tell you, Rayleigh, uh, a personal thing, but it, on, on the s- same subject of dancing. But I don't know if I ever t- I don't think I told you this before, but my, my dad was also a committed set dancer and um, and absolutely no loved that. And for that reason, I mean, anyway, the way you grow up a teenager, I rejected that totally but he actually died dancing a set which is you know a tragic oh. thing in 1986 but it, looking back I mean also an incredibly beautiful thing but um, so I many years later I still for for many decades never really got into the music or felt the music and then I'm in Glastonbury several years later um, at whatever o'clock and uh, I mean a field full of people dancing and and I, I for some reason talking to somebody just to remember, the fact that somebody used to tell me that, like, he used to go and cycle 60 miles to Fremont to go dancing. He never drank alcohol, would cycle home, would dance all night. And there was a connection there in 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 a way that I kind of never realized before about as well. I mean, it was a different tune, but I definitely have the same commitment to the dance. And there began yeah. my journey back into the music that has led me to pray at the altar of the places that he used to go dancing in, you know, and uh, and hearing that music for me, I mean, it triggers things for both of us, I think, but um, the sound of that, of those dancers. uh, Yeah. Incredibly uh, beautiful and meaningful. A world of
3: memories, kind of, you know. Uh, And uh, um... yeah,
0: and it never fails to to revive that in a a very powerful way, you know. Yeah, Um, that's that's lovely, though. Yeah. (laughs) On the, uh, yeah, so anyway, look, come here. I'll move on to to where are we go next, right? Which is, uh, Radiohead, right? Where where we going? Oh no, actually, no, we're going to. uh
3: Yeah, we're, we're going yeah. to the
0: weeper Everyone. chimney sweeper. Isn't the
3: chimney sweeper? Oh yeah, Ernest Rogers. Yeah. So, I can't tell you much about Ernest Rogers, really. Right. Um, because it's impossible to find out about him. Mm. Uh I just can't find anything about him. But I wanted to, I picked this track for a few reasons. So I only heard this a few weeks ago for the first time. And the person who showed it to me was uh, someone who you're a big fan of. It was Andy the Dorbum.
0: Oh yeah.
3: Because and he's also the person who showed me the Matt La um compilation.
0: Thanks, Andy. But, I'm not surprised. Yeah.
3: Exactly. Oh, he's a great man. Like he do, he makes great music himself. But he's also very good for,
0: you know, just yeah.
3: talking to about music and getting a uh, kind of uh, recommendations off. But so he was our driver and our support on that, uh, tour. We just did. Okay. And, uh, so we got to, you know, spend loads of time with Andy and, uh, we went on our days off. We went to Salem, Massachusetts, um, just because, um, I don't know, Uh, I'm a bit of a ghoul, and (laughs) I thought it would be good to go to Salem, Massachusetts because of the witch trials. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we all went there, and basically Andy showed me this song on the morning of what I would say is the last normal day I've had Mm -hmm. uh, since then, basically, because I woke up in the house in Salem, very hungover, and heard some lovely music coming from somewhere, and I was like, and we were in this big kind of gothic house um with like two staircases and stuff it was two really told to start Um maybe, maybe says. <laughs> but
0: um stop that joke. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um but uh so I went actually I liked the tune enough that I went to try find who was playing because I was like that's lovely. I really like that melody. What is that that? And I couldn't tell if it was coming out of a speaker or whatever. And I found Andy in one of the rooms and he was playing it through his phone and singing along to the whole thing. He was humming along to the whole the whole thing. So I made him play it for me another like three times or whatever. And it's just kind of a strong memory because, um, you know, as I say, it was kind of the last normal day. Andy was there. Katie Kim had actually come to uh, to Salem to hang out with us. So she left us that day. And then later on that day, because we drove to Northampton. And that's when people started really talking to us really seriously about this Corona thing. And we were like, oh, maybe we need to pay attention to this. And actually, kneecap, the rappers were over Um in Northampton the same day as well so we're hanging out with them that day so it was a weird day but it was a normal day for us and it just kind of really stuck with me and I love this song anyway and Andy was explaining to me that it's basically the first it's from 1927
2: Mm -hmm. and it's
3: the first song about opium and it's a really sad song um because it's like you know this guy Willie the Weeper he's um he's a chimney sweeper so he's this kind of really like uh probably quite unpleasant job and he's an opium um addiction and the whole song is about this really fantastical dream he has like obviously you, t- you know like takes opium and he imagines he's in it's like kind of really lush like um exotic and kind of um a glamorous kind of world with the queen of sheba and all this kind of stuff and then he wakes up and he's just because the dope wears off and he's just back in his life and it's just really sad you know i just think it's a really like um, it's kind of like a weird seductive song and it's just really sad at the end so yeah that's yeah and I was listening to this all the first um, kind of couple of days uh, when it was really starting to sink in that something big was happening and that we needed to get out of the country like now so this was the soundtrack to the start of COVID for me wow
4: Willie the Weeper Had a job as a chimney sweeper He had the dope habit and he had it bad Listen while I tell you about a dream he had Oh Oh He went down to the dope shop one Saturday night He knew the lights would all be burning bright Well I guess he smoked a dozen pills or more when he woke up, he was on a foreign shore. Oh, oh, oh. The queen of sheep was the first he met. She called him lovey-dovey and honey pet. She gave him a great big automobile with a diamond headlight and a golden wheel. In Honolulu, Willie fell in a trance, Seeing the dusky beauties do the hula dance. His sweetie got in jail, and Willie sure did shout when he got the news that she had wiggled out. Oh, oh, oh. he landed with a splash in the river Nile. Riding on a seagoing crocodile, He winked to Cleopatra, she said, Ain't he a sight? He said, About a date for next Saturday
2: night. Oh, oh,
4: oh, he had a million cattle and he had a million sheep, Had a million vessels on the ocean deep. Had a million dollars, all in nickels and dimes. Well, he knew because he counted it a thousand times. Oh, oh, he landed in New York one evening late. He asked his sugar for an after date. Started to kiss her and she started to pout when things. And
0: the door Oh, that's such a haunting song. Uh, that's Ernest Rogers, yeah, and uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the idea of it being the, the soundtrack to the first few days of, of coming to terms with what was happening, really. Um, <laughs> uh, I was talking to Kevin Barry the other day, and he was saying that you know, music kind of changes the way you carry yourself, but sometimes life kind of presents yourself with these challenges where. Uh, that's where music kind of comes in sometimes at those points, you know, where it sort of informs some kind of bridge over to the next side. Or in this case, I guess in, yeah. in your case, it was just to get back home to safety while you were listening to this. Yeah.
3: Too. And to co- and kind of comfort and escapism. And escape, it? it can have so many different functions, music like, you know, like it can be for enjoyment, entertainment, like, you know, uh, to have a good crowd. I to comfort you all this kind of stuff you know so like that was one that i found very comforting in the first couple of days of it but we also we had kind of a very funny time playing different um soundtracks and also looking out the window at the van at the same time so we'd like play like blade runner and like (laughs) look out the window and it's very like (laughs) it was actually really funny um and then we'd go back to being terrified you know what i mean yeah but like you can kind of I don't know, it, it can be a, a way of um, of dealing with things as well.
0: You know, sure, music. coping mechanisms and, and all of that. Yeah. But, um, Rayleigh, let's move on to uh, I, I think I got the order mixed up. So apologies on that front. But um, no worries, one no. of one of the choices that I was looking forward to really talking to you about was was Radiohead. So do you want to, to tell me sort of w- w- why you chose that mixematosus? Um.
3: Yeah. So, okay. Um, So I think I have uh, said a good few times how obsessed with Radiohead I have always been. I found um, one, there was a mixtape someone, one of my sisters had made, one of my older sisters, and there was one Radiohead track on it. I think it was Paranoid Android. Might have been Karma Police. I can't remember. And I was like, what the hell is this? I was Uh just like totally fascinated. And I kept stealing her tape and like running away to listen to it um, I was so obsessed with it and like that was when I was probably about 11 Uh, also like I think the first album I ever bought like went in and like got the money and bought the album was Amnesiac um, oh and I just it's just been a lifelong thing Jesus, for me been at I'm the not- deep end there yeah but yeah but it also was like it kind of like grew up with me so like it starts off like i i also loved the bends Mm -hmm. before that you know like so it starts off kind of like sort of not simple it's well written music but it's like it's easier maybe to come at and appreciate and then it was like they held my hand into this mad world you know what i mean because i was so young
2: yeah
3: and like But it it was gradual enough for me that I was like, oh, my God, what is this? And also, like, still, you know, in my life, if I hear something that I find confusing or I can't understand it, it totally just I'm like, I must understand it. You know what I mean? Like, I get really obsessive about it. So that's why I picked the track Myxomatosis, because that came out, I think, in 2003 yeah so I would have been I think 16 Mm -hmm. now I had already like because this is off hell to the thief so I I had heard like all amnesiac and like that like that really made a big um impact on me so I had never heard Apex Twin as well you Mm -hmm. know what I mean like you have to see that that's like if that's your point of yeah that's your first point you know it, it just blew my mind and uh same with like so this track I just thought it was a good example of I remember hearing this track and now as an adult I can decipher the like I can decipher the sounds. Mm-hmm. I know that it's a synth making that sound, right? Yeah. Um, and I do know that probably what I found so strange about it was the rhythm. So mm-hmm. it's the vocals against that synth line is actually very unusual. Yeah. Um, and like, so I can understand it better now. But at the time, I was it blew my mind. I was like, "What yeah. is this?" Because to me, synths were like eighties pop that's mm-hmm. what a synth sounded like i had no idea the scope of of a synth as as an instrument you know yeah. i had no idea what i was listening to basically and yeah. i was really obsessed with it so it's just a, a this is an example of like teenage me being like what the hell is this i must understand this
0: yeah i'll, I'll tell you the story of 33 year old me going what the hell is this <laughs> i must understand this after we hear it but this is uh yeah. in the incredible uh, mixomatosis. <laughs> That's from Radiohead. Mixamotosis. It was a good uh, title, I think, uh, for just an outrageously challenging and brilliant tune. Uh, and uh, <laughs> uh, Ray, really, can I? I know. Look, I, I, I don't want to steal your thunder. Here. It's all about hearing what you have to say. But there is a, a kind of a Radiohead uh, story that I have, which is from around about that time. So, I from 1996, from OK Computer onwards, I was full, officially obsessed with Radiohead, and. Uh, <laughs> I'd gone to Glastonbury in 1995, which was a big turning point for me because, anyway, uh, I'll I'll tell that story another day. But 1995 was a beautiful, sunny year. The following year was a fallow year. And then in 1997, they came back with that OK Computer Show. And it was the worst ever, Glastonbury, in terms of weather. So I kind of, I lost a lot of things, including a car and friends and everything. Uh, But So that's famously uh, regarded by them as being one of the most difficult concerts they ever played You've been there yourself, um, I think um, Johnny Greenwood is on record as saying that it was like being in a war because their monitors collapsed, all this sort of stuff happened oh uh, where they had yeah. an absolute nightmare. But the story of their kind of return to Glastonbury is is very beautiful because they came back in 2003 just after that record's been released. And um, so it was, it was a glorious return. But in the meantime, my own Glastonbury story, I went every year for, for a long time and kind of regarded it as, as uh, my Christmas, as important as that. So I, um, so that year, I had kind of climbed up the Glastonbury tree of life in the meantime between 97 and 2003 to the point where by 2003, I was effectively supping from uh, the Evis family farm uh, milk cartons. Uh, and I had... Also, I knew a friend of mine, Brian Ormond, was the tour manager for Radiohead that year. So uh, sort of in, to cut a long story short, they were playing on the Saturday night and Brian had sort of told me, look, you don't have the official accreditation to go watch them from the side of the stage, but I can help you do that if you abide by the rules and do as I say. So I followed him through a number of gates and he said, go into that port cabin and wait and then I'll get you before the show. And I went into the port cabin, and and there was sort of four or five people in there one of whom had a cane and and he was the one who said hello and he was Michael Stipe. So I ended up hanging out with them what? until <laughs> showtime. <laughs> well, that's only kind of a sideshow Bob stuff. There's there's so many in look, a, in
3: a, in a porticap.
0: Yeah, and, in a and they had played the previous night, so but look, The thing is, there's so many I could drop so many names in this story that I'd have to employ somebody to pick them up. uh, Radies, (laughs) (laughs) but I won't do that. Right. So the show was about to begin. And then Brian came back and sort of uh, whisked us up to the side of the stage. So we're at the side of the stage. There's mayhem. It's like out front, we can see the whole thing uh, from that perspective. And then I'm at the point where the stage turns into the back back of the stage. So at Fever yeah. Pitch, where it's like, I'm sitting next to Mike Stipe, there's like um, the guy, oh yeah, Fran Healy from Travis, not the guy, Fran from Travis is on the other side, lovely guy as well, ended up playing frisbee with so sort of, anyway. But I'm talking to uh, Michael Stipe, chatting to him, and I'm looking at what's going on, is this crazy scene as the people await, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people await, the band, and behind the screens where the backstage is, there's a table with uh, a whole lot of candles And around that, the five members of Radiohead are holding hands and hugging for an extremely long period of time, just at that fever pitch moment before they go on stage. And that image, um, I mean, anyway, it's something that really has stayed with me and then throughout the gig. Right. So the other thing is that at that point he had, you know, quite obviously loosened up an awful lot and had taken to dancing and uh, and it was claimed and it was written that um, that Michael Stipe had a key part in him kind of chilling out and uh, and going to clubs and getting into electronic music and stuff like that. So at times where he would do his dance, he would come over and kind of dance to Michael, who was like right next to me. And, and I saw that kind of well, anyway, I didn't imagine that this actually happened. But um, that kind of communication between the two lads at the key moment, I was there, man. So anyway, that's my radiohead story.
3: That's really lovely to think of them all <laughs> hugging,
0: isn't <laughs> it? I, I, I knew you'd like that. I I think that's really sweet. It, it like
3: def- I, re- I, I read an interview with Ed O'Brien, um, in oh I can't remember which magazine out there recently, and he was just talking about like their relationship with each other, and I was like, that's just really beautiful. They just sound like they really yeah. Care
0: I I, about each I, 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 I that's the, the the image of being able to see both sides of that. Um it was, I mean, there was something really powerful about that because, I mean, on the left hand side was like a hundred and whatever thousand people smoking, you know, crazy scenes of euphoria and as anticipation. Yeah. And then just behind that was this incredibly calm and familial and beautiful thing. But I mean, I guess you're you're used to that being in a team yourself
3: it it it's a very intense um thing yeah like it's kind of like being in a cult or something <laughs> it is yeah though, sure like, of course and also being in like the the weirdest family in the world and like i think the bond you form because it's all to do with, like it's high stakes like you're in all these like really high stakes
2: mm-hmm.
3: situations with each other and you're also like w- with each other like trying to communicate like really personal emotions mm-hmm. and like you know like kind of really cut into the core of who you are kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know it's a high Um, wire
0: act as such it's you know you're you're just so exposed
3: yeah oh totally and then the support is really intense then as well so you know like you're kind of you know through the nerves like support each other and all that kind of stuff so it is it's a a very intense um it's a very intense experience you know and uh, it can be intense in, in in a bad way as well you know like um it can be same as a sibling relationship you know when you fight you can yeah you can really have war arguments but um yeah like uh it, it is it's a bit like being in a in a cult a cult family mm-hmm. um but, I, mean, uh, I, I miss just, my i miss my cult family yeah
0: I, i'm sure I you do but I just really, i mean i just
3: love to drink a pint a pint of guinness in like some nice pub with the lads and just get to give them all a hug and yeah. just have a bit of a mess and a, and a laugh about what you know like what's been going on yeah um like, just, how are you? That's all I want to be able to do, just to have like, I, a really good day and chat with them.
0: I think everybody feels the same way in terms of, um, I mean, what it's taken away is just those basic fundamental things, which I suppose the only thing you could say would be that um, I guess it's a chance chance uh, to reset and to reassess just how valuable those incredibly yeah. ordinary simple things are. Um, just on the point of, of the pre-stage thing, Rady. Um you could identify with, with trying to kind of find some moment of calm. I don't want you to let us into your um, state secrets or anything, but do mm-hmm. are, do you always have some moment together before you, you go on stage or is that something that's not possible to really organise?
3: We don't um, have like a set thing that we do, but we do um, try have in our dressing room, like whatever that situation is, it's basically just us in there, you yeah. know? Um, because you absolutely need, you just need a bit of calm, you yeah. know, before you go and do that, because mm-hmm. your brain, like, it feels like there's a fire alarm going off in your brain, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. you know, and so, someone's trying to talk to you about something, I remember Cozzy, I did it because actually, this will link into the last track, uh, Cozzy was backstage with me, for, I, uh, just on my own, I did um, support for Beak, in February, Yeah. and I got really nervous, because solo gigs are, it's a different story nerves wise because it's all on me you know mm-hmm. and cause cause he was getting up and singing with me on dark horse and the wind he was backstage and so was spud because he was doing sound and i was just about to go on stage and like cause he was asking me like what's the code for the door God, so he was asking the me eternal to, like, button factory problem <laughs> yeah and i was like i just had to say to him and like beaker in the room i was just be, like causey i can't like that part of my brain has shut down completely <laughs> i have no idea what the code is yeah because it was like it was literally like a fire alarm was going off yeah and i was looking at him like being like you expect me to remember the door code i can yeah. barely remember my name because like Extreme i'm having terror. a load of endorphins basically or whatever yeah. it's called adrenaline yeah um but that's just you know like like in fairness that is different to the lancome gigs i don't get the same sensation like you know because lancome is like um because we do it together yeah you know so it's like we're a team and we've we've done it a lot. And, you know, like, there is there is support. You know yeah. what I mean? There's support on stage for everything you're doing, for the music you're doing, for when you're talking, all that kind of stuff. And I think that's maybe why the solo gigs feel so yeah. uh, different to me is that I'm used to that support. And then suddenly I'm like,
0: oh. Did, did you play team games ever uh, already? Like, anything? Oh, sports? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Because, no, I'm I, i I'm not no, a musician.
3: No, like I, I am, I... I'm missing the component in my brain that you need oh, for yeah. to understand and appreciate sports. So oh, I'll just Jesus, be with we, well, we won't even go there. But feel
0: like an alien. <laughs> my, my connection was that I, I'm not a musician. I've never been in band. Probably, you know, I. but the feeling of, of being there for somebody in a team, within a team, I mean, that's kind of the essence of sport. You don't have to know anything about the, the detail of all the stuff that completely infuriates and bores you. But the point of... Just being sort of like running along and, and being sort of ahead and taking the ball and putting it in the basket, something like that, in terms of the fundamental philosophy behind the whole thing is just to be there for the other members of the team. And and I guess my, my analogy, my, my point being that it must feel great to have that sort of intense security and relationship with the other members and, and for it to be working in such a phenomenal way.
3: Um, yeah, like when it's... Uh when when it's all working well and you know it it really is it's it's a very intense um you know it's an intense bond um and then when it's not working well or if you're not getting on that well which does obviously happen like I'm just gonna be honest about that like mm-hmm. that feels, that feels awful then you know because yeah. you, you want the you know but I think generally like we 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 try mind each other and we try be be yeah. good to each other and um, you know, yeah, just try, try make everything as as easy as it can
0: be. Before, you know,
3: because a lot of the stuff about the job is hard, you know. Yeah. So you need to make trying to make
0: it easy for each other. So hard. Um, w- one thing before we just, the, well, we're still on Lancome, Brady. That I wanted to just ask you about the role of of smud. I don't know if uh, did smud appear in your music theory book yet, but like, it, it's um, <laughs> it's something that when when I hear the the live long day and when I talk about it, I mean, it's a very key part of of the development of your sound is is Spud's part.
3: Is Spud, yeah. I I think that's very, very true. And um I have made a point of like whenever people have asked us about this this album, I always bring up Spud because mm-hmm. I think that like this is the first album that he's been on board from the get go with, yeah. you know, like he recorded and, and mixed the whole thing. Um but yeah like we met when we met Spud, um Years ago now, uh, we did, it was for a television program and he um, he did a mix of the song Rosie Riley, which um, there are videos up, but um, it's not released on any album yet. But uh, he basically managed to get this, uh, the old, big old uh, Russian accordion thing that I play to sound kind of like we imagined in our heads, you know, yeah. and we are like, yes. Yes, like that, you know. And from that point, we've literally worked with him from that point onwards, and yeah. um, because we felt that like what he was envisioning and what we were envisioning were were converging well, you know. Yeah. But he's also bringing his own worlds to it, which is really valuable because like the last pick actually of of track that um that we're uh, hopefully gonna play. Yeah. Um, if there's time, is actually a band that Spud introduced me, mm-hmm. um, and he's he's had a, like a really good effect, I think, on uh, my musical taste since I've met him. But um, in terms of like uh, the band, like he really is kind of creatively the, the fifth member of the band, mm-hmm. and he's invaluable in terms of creative input and just like making the things sound the way we we've always wanted them to sound, you mm-hmm. know. Um so, yeah, like uh, he plus he's he's produced loads of albums that I really love, you know, like the Jimmy Cake and Katie Kim stuff and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So, like he, you know, like he he's bringing a whole world of experience to it as well. You mm-hmm. know,
0: um, for, so. for, for me, that that collision of of the two two worlds, uh, because I knew uh, your progression from, from the beginning of Lynch and also aware of Spud's amazing work all the way back to when he began yeah. producing. Uh, but you know, so it, it made sense to me from the outside, but it's just, it's, it makes beautiful sense every time you listen to the record, you know. And uh, so, um, Brady, will we go on to the, the, the to beak who he introduced you to? This is the work of, of Jeff Barrow, the amazing Portishead man. Yeah.
3: And I was a bit torn as to whether I should play um, maybe a Portishead track because, you know, we're talking about formative uh, musical experiences, and I was listening to Porset as a teenager as well. But I actually wanted to include this later one, because I actually just wanted to talk a little bit about things that have made me excited in the last couple of years. And Beak is definitely one of my main things that I have um, really kind of connected with over the last couple of years, you know. Um, The music makes me feel a lot of emotions. And also just because I wanted to say about them that I think they're just like a such a an example of um oh how am I gonna put this like tasteful economic use of sound. Mm-hmm. There's no faff mm-hmm. at all with Beak. It's like everything that's done has an impact, and it, you know like it it it, it
2: should.
3: Ugh, mm, oh, it's hard to explain. It's like there's no showing off really. It's yeah. like everything is really like it has maximum impact and it's like kind of a bit of a lesson in how like you don't need loads of things yeah if you can do just these things really well and make them interact in this way it has loads of power you know so I just think they're really interesting and this track is a bit of an unusual one of theirs because a lot of it is a lot more kind of experimental a lot of it doesn't have vocals you know it can be like a bit like yeah some of it's a bit like if maybe if you were had conservative music tastes you might be like oh this is a bit off the wall or whatever and I love that they just then throw in this track which is a real well look we can do oh we can do that too <laughs> you yeah. know it's like oh yeah you want harmonies we can do that oh you want string sections we can do that <laughs> here,
0: here we go. so it's
3: just kind of you know yeah yeah anyway. that's
0: that's lovely that's so it's it's when we fell this is the sound of beak
3: when we fall yeah With-
5: settles down on us all With the sound of the children left behind Makes us choke on the fear even more As the smoke becomes fake and all we can see is the flames and the fading falls We return i yeah.
0: The gig was great right the the live gig
3: the when we played in february yeah yeah oh they're brilliant live. they're yeah. so good yeah. yeah really like amazing musicians you know um yeah they're definitely one of my favorite bands going these days yeah you know?
0: i mean when you, when you there's there is i think uh, i mean it's very different but there is to me there's a jeff barrow type of sound and he, he he's he's constantly kind of coming up with amazing things but uh there there to me it's kind of Linked to what he did with Portishead. I mean, I don't know. Did you ever see Portishead live yourself?
3: I never got to see them live. Yeah, like there definitely is a link, and um, you know, like uh, Billy the Beast is an amazing bass player. Like they were doing this um kind of Instagram uh telly mashup thing. I don't know if you like you saw it at all. They were like basically playing like oh telly bangers. That's what it was called. Okay, They're no. playing like theme songs off off you know um TV shows, um and yeah, Billy was playing, like, I think, MASH or something. And I was like, why does why does this sound so good that I want it to be a song? Yeah, right. <laughs> and I want to actually listen to it. I was like, Jesus Christ. And, uh, yeah, and then Will, the uh, synth and guitar player, like, they're really, really, really all brilliant. Um, and I think it's one of those examples of, like, uh, you know, uh, like, just a combination making a whole new thing. Yeah, absolutely. Because of the three elements,
0: you know. Um, Ray do you see and did is is Jeff a, a fan of your work too? Is that how it happened?
3: Um so we actually we played on the same stage as him in this uh Scottish festival called D- Dune Down the Rabbit Hole. Oh yeah. Down the Rabbit Hole. Down a weird Down uh, the rabbit hole, yeah. I think it is. And um it was great, it was great crack, uh, it was a really good festival and like got to see Sister Sledge and then went over and saw Beak and um the as, lad. as you do. Yeah, well, that doesn't often happen. No, that doesn't often You know, that, that, like, I, I not only do you play a festival that you have people yeah. you want to see playing at it, but the actually have the time yeah, absolutely. you can go and see them. Yeah. So I was thrilled. Um, and, yeah, uh, the lads at the end of the set, they were like, I was going over to buy vinyls off uh, off Beak anyway because, uh, you know, wanted them. Um, and the lads were like, oh, just give them CDs. And I was like, that's really embarrassing. And they are like, just give them CDs. And I was like, re- I don't want to do that. And, yeah. Uh, I think Dara basically just, he told me what's what. He was like, give them the CDs. Yeah. So I just went over and I was like, okay, fine. Dara's Dar-
0: <laughs> Dar- told. <Stull. laughs>
3: yeah, and I just was like, please just take these off me so my bandmates, like... I, they can't give out to me, basically. <laughs> I did what I said I would do and just sell me this vinyl, please. And, like, went off. And then, like, a couple of, yeah, a couple of months later, like, they obviously had listened to them and liked them, and really uh, which is cool. And then they they invited us to play at uh, this thing they do called Beak Ender in Leeds. Uh-huh. So we got to go and play that and got to see them two nights in a row. And they did really different sets both nights. So that was amazing. So it was like watching one really big, uh, long Beak gig but yeah, they're great people, you know, and uh, yeah, they like um, they've been very sound and complimentary of, of our work, you know. And mm-hmm. obviously, then they they invited me to come and play on my own for them in um in the Button Factory in February. So that was really uh, that was really flattering,
0: you know. I'm really glad yeah. to hear that Jeff Barrow is a cool guy because I'm a huge fan.
3: Oh yeah, no, he they're they're all amazing, and I love that when you when you're a big fan of someone's music and then you meet them and they're just like a yeah. An extension you know like sound person yeah. and Uneffected. you know all their intentions are good and yeah, yeah it, it kind of makes you for me it makes me like the music
0: um more yeah 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 Absolutely. You know? i mean you would make excuses if they weren't and obviously we, we do all the time but it's it's lovely when it's a nice note to to bring the conversation really um, just on the point of, of what, you know, when you're on, uh, currently when you're working away at home, um, like there's things that you're just playing as well, or you're, or are you writing a bit too, or is there, it's just kind of early stages in that department?
3: Um, oh, for the, the stuff I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, like a combination of a load of different things. So I'm, I'm currently getting what I need to be able to record decent demos at home mm-hmm. and to do layering at home. So I'll be kind of working on stuff like that. Um And yeah, I've been just working on uh, stuff for solo live shows, but also like with the hope of maybe getting to record at the very least, maybe an EP or mm-hmm. something yeah. over the next while. And that hasn't, it, that's been all kind of arranging, practicing, bit of writing, you know, yeah. um a, a bit of, um yeah, just like thinking about textures and stuff like that. So yeah, it's been, it's it's been really interesting and I can't wait until I get set up to try uh, do a few layers.
0: Yeah. That would be good. Yeah. Well, I good luck with all of that. And thank you so much for your, I mean, I asked you for an hour of your time. It gave me way more than that. And, uh, and Rady, it's <laughs> Sorry, been... it's
3: probably way too long. <laughs> oh, it's
0: just perfect. But look, the thing is, right, I, I, um, it's been so great listening to this music and chatting to you about it. So we'll have to do this again, Rady, but greatly appreciate it. Yeah. And um, I'm going Thanks to play having. out with, uh, yeah, anyway, to Lullaby from the amazing Live Long Day by Lancome. Thanks again, Rady.
3: Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you.